taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana, in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. And we're going to start off uh, this series on Christology uh, from Exodus 34, verse 6, which says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> I did a lot of my own uh, straightening curves and flattening the hills uh, back in my day when <laughs> I was growing up. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's good theme song. Um, it's just, I never forget all the stuff uh, that 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 show brought brought to me. Uh, just the the fun and the and the laughs. Uh, you know, Roscoe Pico train. You know, jumping into the river with his car. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Good stuff. You know they 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 the the new the new Dukes of Hazard just it's like I I stopped even watching it after about ten minutes in it was like this is dumb. Oh, you talking about the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. It, it, nothing like the series, that's for sure. No, when you grew up on when you grew up on the series. You know, and then you see this movie that they try to they try to dupe. It's like ah, you guys are just messing it up. Knock it off. <laughs> I agree. There's, you know, here's the thing: if Hollywood, if Hollywood, really would just come to come to a Bible theologian or a Christian and actually and actually ask, hey, what are some good stories that we can actually make good movies out of? It would be endless in the Bible. Endless. Oh, certainly. Well, and there's so many, so many stories you could use, and, and you know, and, and Christians can come up with good stories, biblically centered stories that are even fictional stories, like C.S. Lewis, um, Tolkien, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and others who, uh, who, who you know, like Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, absolutely. Though you know. And we need more of that, you know. And I know there's been a lot of um, criticism for some of the Christian movies. Some of it justified, <laughs> some of it unjustified. But but I do think that uh, we Christians we, we need to make an impact in every sphere. And yeah, yeah we need to be, be better storytellers and, and really truly uh, put stuff out there. You know, good good yeah. wholesome stuff. The world desperately needs. Good wholesome entertainment. Can, can I just say one quick word before we before we go further? I yeah. talked with a lady not long ago who told me that she started watching golf, and I said, "Did you play golf?" She says, "No, I can't stand golf, but golf is the only thing I can watch where there's no cursing on it." <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Hey, one one quote, one movie line quote, and I can't remember the name of the character, but she was talking about Aslan the lion. And and she asked, she said, 
the lion? Is he safe? And the reply was, well, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something about God right there, folks. <laughs> so anyway, we've got this uh, this series that we've been working on, and last week we talked about uh, in our in our Christology series. We talked about the atonement and such, and and we kind of went through some of the some of the theories um, that did uh, that that do exist um, or have existed, um, and some of them still have some traction. Some of them don't. Um, some of them have been kind of maybe twisted morphed now but now we're getting into what these theories are we're going to dig into the meat of these things um and so i'd be be curious brian we should just go ahead and just start off um by recapping the theories um, of the atonement yeah absolutely and just just to give a brief recap and and as you mentioned curtis i recommend folks who may be listening to this podcast to, to go back if to go back and listen to last week's podcast episode 16 of season five listen to it first and then come back and listen to this one but just as a recap uh, we have six theories the socinian moral influence government ransom satisfaction and penal substitution so, Sinian theory, uh, in this theory, the cross showed God's perfect loving example. This, this uh, theory is based on a lot more of a Pelagian theory where, where people can save themselves, and uh, God just demonstrates his love and, and encourages people to become good people through the loving act that happened on the cross. Uh, moral influence theory, in this theory, is very similar to the Socinian theory. However, on this theory, Christ serves as a perfect example so uh, even dying a perfect death, living a perfect life, uh, he serves as a perfect example for us to live. And again, notice the emphasis is more on what we can do and not so much on what uh, God has done or will do through us. Government theory, uh, the cross serves as an illustration of divine judgment, appealing to people, essentially saying that if you don't repent, turn to Christ, turn your life over to God, then the cross serves as an example of the divine punishment that would come to that person who, who rejects the grace of God. Ransom theory, uh, this also called Christus Victor. And Curtis, you and I mentioned this before the podcast began. There's a little bit of a distinction between Ransom and Christus Victor, but not enough to really separate them into two theories for our purposes on this podcast. But Ransom right. Christus theory means that Christ delivered humanity from the clutches of Satan's power. Uh, it's almost as if God made a deal with Satan and, and Christ went to the cross to pay the ransom to Satan, but the impact that it had was far more than Satan ever realized. So through the cross, God established his victory over Satan and the powers of darkness. Satisfaction theory. This is the theory uh, promoted by Anselm of, of Canterbury. Christ satisfied the honor of God that was violated. So God's honor was violated because of sin. Christ satisfied God's honor through um, the, his death on the cross. And uh, we noted Anselm, some of the Anselm's problems with uh, ransom theory. And then the penal, penal substitution theory. Christ paid the penalty for humanity 
breaking God's law. So humanity broke the moral law of God, uh, and because of that, Christ paid the penalty for an individual's sins, uh, at least for those who would receive uh, the gift that or the uh, sacrifice that was made on the cross, uh, that that paid the penalty for that person's uh, sinful behavior. And so those are the six theories that we discussed last week, and really the theories that will be gauging, uh, testing, according to the biblical uh, record and um, what the Bible tells us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, there's a lot there, um, and we're going to have some time kind of breaking some of this down throughout this. We're going we're gonna to chase some of this. I, I really... I, I really want to kind of talk more about these before we dig in, but sure. let's just go ahead and get going because because the truth is, as we go through these, we'll 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 open that up a little more. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so what tests will we use to see uh, which theory best aligns with Scripture? So um, you know, so we've got something fun. For, for a listening audience on this podcast, Curtis and I are going to. We need to have that. I wish I had that Law and Order dun dun sound. We're going to play the Law. We're going to play the Judge and Jury here. We're, we're going to be looking through the uh, four different distinct distinct areas of these theories and um, gauging whether we believe the theory passes or fails the what the Bible gives us or what the Bible presents to us. And so we'll be testing four different areas. Uh, the first area is, or the first question, or the first area is the nature of God. Does the theory account for the biblical uh, perception of God's nature? And, and here we're wanting to talk about the total nature of God. Uh, secondly, does the theory account for the biblical teaching of human nature and sin? Now, now hopefully later on we're going to have a... Um, series on sin that's called homartology uh the study of sin and human nature and maybe that'll be something we are able to do in a future uh winter theology series i think that would make a great study um but what does the bible give us as far as the overall depiction of human nature and sin does the theory match what the bible tells us uh, regarding human nature and sin. Uh, also, the third thing is uh, refers to substitution and propitiation. Uh, does the theory account for the biblical view of substitution and propitiation? And really more here we're talking about the sacrificial, uh, the works of sacrifice, not only in the Old Testament, but later anticipated in the New. And then lastly, we'll talk about reconciliation and redemption. Do, do, does each model, which model best fits uh, the biblical teaching on reconciliation and redemption. So that's kind of the groundwork, kind of laying forth the groundwork what we'll be doing. What we'll be doing as well is uh, Curtis is going to cast a vote, whether he believes the the theory passes this certain section. I'll cast a vote. If we both agree that the theory uh, passes the test, if, if it passes the mustard, so to speak, we're going to say that, this, that the theory passes this section. If we both agree that it fails... We'll, po- we'll put on here that it fails. If we if we differ in our opinions on this, we're going to just say we're uncertain. In, on the podcast, we'll say we're uncertain as to whether or not uh, the uh, the theory passes that section. And so we're going to kind of tally up the results at the end of the podcast. And by the end of the podcast, 
you'll see kind of where we stand as to, as to which theory best aligns itself with the uh, information we find in Scripture. Yeah. So buckle up, right? Yeah, it's going to be a nice, <laughs> bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the Bible say about the nature of God? Let's just go ahead and jump right in on this one. Well, we want to see three different things pertaining to God's nature. And and here again, go back and look for the first series we did on this on this theology studies uh, that we're doing uh, on the on the attributes of God. We did a whole series on the attributes of God, and that marks the very first uh, theology series that we've done on the podcast. Uh, so, because there's a lot more that we can add here, but there are two distinct things we want to talk about God, and that's His holy nature, that's His loving nature. And also God's desire to save. So when we talk when we talk of God's loving nature, the Hebrew word is the word chesed. Uh, the Greek word is agape. And so uh, we already I read. Like chesed better. Yeah. <laughs> chesed. Chesed. Yeah, that's right. You can kind of clear your throat at the same chesed. You clear your throat and say a word too. Yeah. But let's take a look at, uh, we read a portion of this. Let's take a look at uh, is Exodus 34. And, and Curtis, I'll go ahead and read this. I've got it pulled up here. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. Uh, it says, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, faithful love, chesed, and truth, Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Uh, but and then he goes on to say, But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren unto the third and fourth generation. But the main point we want to look at here is the faithful love and truth of God uh, that he. And, you know, a lot of times people will say that the God of the Old Testament is a vengeful God. Well, really, you mm-hmm. don't see that. If you really look deeply wow. at the teachings of Scripture in Hosea, right. in Exodus, you see that God is a faithful God. He's a loving God. He's, ju- he's a just God. And He desires uh, the, the salvation of people, which we'll talk about in a moment. So, Chesed, or Chesed. We see that in Exodus 34, 6, but that's just a small sampling of multiple passages of Scripture we can mention uh, regarding the uh, loving kindness of God. We also take a look at the New Testament, and we talk about the agape love. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians three seventeen. Ephesians three seventeen. Yeah, it says, uh, this is a good one. Read, read uh, when you folks. When you read this, go back to fourteen all the way down through. But we're going to start in seventeen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Verse eighteen, with all the saints, what what is the breadth, the length, mm. the height, and the depth? Whew. Oh man, it's everything. That that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, we also could add here as well. We, we won't necessarily read it, but but uh, Romans chapter eight verses thirty five yep. through through thirty nine, where it talks about. And what made me trigger? What triggered that in my mind when you talk about the height and breadth and depth of God's love? You know, in Romans eight thirty five through thirty nine, it talks about how nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. Um, yeah. 
not even life and death, not problems, not circumstances we face, nothing we face. And Paul essentially throws out every possible thing that a person could object to and say that, well, this shows that God doesn't love me. No, he says, nothing can separate us from the faithful love of God uh, in Christ Jesus. So powerful passage of Scripture. First uh, John 4, 7 through 16 I'll go ahead and read this. Um, he goes down to say, let's see, whoop, I am in the wrong chapter. Let me scroll back up here. 4, 7 through 16. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his own one and only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And so he continues going through this. I won't read the rest of it, but I I will say this. um, Let me read a couple more verses. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. And he goes on down to verse 16, says, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Powerful, powerful passage of scripture. Um, so, Ezekiel, I mean, excuse me, Exodus uh, 34 6, Ephesians 3, 1 John 4, we mentioned, made reference to uh, Romans 8. All of these passages of scripture, if this, was a, if this is all we had, we can make a good, strong case of the loving kindness of God. There are multiple other passages of Scripture we could mention, uh, but I think this suffices for, for what we're trying to do now. So we talk about yeah. the loving nature of God. We also talk about the holy nature of God. And the, and the Hebrew word here is the word kadesh. And kadesh means otherness. Uh, it, holiness means that God is completely other outside of the way the modus operandi is, the common way of living is. Uh, God is pure. God is truth. God is is just. And so we see that not only does God hold these attributes, but His holy ones, His saints, um, the, the hagias, uh, the, the saints of God, sharing God's purity, but we don't hold His transcendental, transcendent holiness that he has. So let's take a look at a few verses here. Isaiah sixty-one. Uh, no, excuse me. Isaiah six, verses one through three. How about uh, that passage of scripture for yeah. us? Yeah. Uh, just for reference, I, I am I am reading out of the ESV um, with Bellator Christie. We we use the CSB on all other things. If we don't if we don't uh, say that's what what we're using, that that is the. The Bible translation that we use, but I'll just for my purpose, I'm I'm using the ESV right here. So hey, ESV is a good version. <laughs> uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high, lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse two. Above him stood the seraphim; each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. Oof, duh. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. What a powerful passage of Scripture, too. Um, yeah. Man, there's so much we could even talk about Isaiah, and I dare not even go there because... Nope. 
<laughs> but but you definitely see there God high and lifted up, completely other than than anything in humanity. Uh, he is holiness personified and perfected, uh, and yeah. and we see that in a powerful fashion in uh, uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. Psalm 47, I'm going to go ahead and read all this psalm because there's only nine verses. It says, uh, this is uh, from the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is all-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God, uh, he goes on to say, Selah. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. Sing praise to God, sing praise. Sing praise to our king, sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for our God is king of the whole earth. So this shows not only his holy nature, but his sovereignty over all of creation. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham for the leaders of the earth belong. Listen to this. Here's one of the reasons why we're not political on Bellator Christie because look what verse 9 says. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the nations of the earth belong to God for he is greatly exalted. And then... Um, you know, Psalm 48 verses, really the whole psalm there talks about the uh, holiness of God. Psalms 96 through 99 speaks of the holy nature of God. Revelation, you see a scene where the angels shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So there's a lot yeah. more we could talk about there, but I think that's sufficient for what we're trying to do now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that, like the like in Isaiah and in Revelation, there's a lot of talk about certain, you know, certain angels, certain things, uh, creatures, the seraphim, so on and so forth. Don't get wrapped around the axle with that, folks. Just, just trust that that God's got something for you. Keep reading, and and understand that the reason those some of those creatures. Like for example, the one that had it over his eyes and over his, you know, over his feet, and he was flying with it because God's holy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, some people so. become frightened by those images, but really understand this: all of them belong to God. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. and the Bible even tells us that those of us who are the saints of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, which we'll get into in a moment. That, that we're going to hold a position even higher than the angels when we get into eternity. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, so there's that. So we see the loving nature of God, the holy nature of God, but we also see that God's desire to save. Ezekiel chapter 18, how about reading verses 30 through 32 for us there, Curtis? Yeah, yeah so verses thir- verse 30, Therefore I will judge, O house of Israel, Everyone, according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent. Turn from all your transgression, lest iniquity be in your ruin. Verse 31. Cast away from all, from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32. For I have Listen no pleasure very closely in to the 32 death. There, folks. Go ahead, I'm just going to tell everybody to listen very closely to verse 32. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death for, of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Boom. Or let me, let me reemphasize that again. Declares the Lord God. So turn and live. <laughs> yeah. The applause God, was intentional. God takes no pleasure in judging anyone. That, that's right. something we need to realize. The Bible, Jesus tells us this, that, the, that hell was not intended for humanity. It was intended for that's the right. devil and his angels. So it's not the will of God that any should perish, but all come to repentance. We'll read that in a moment. So we see that God has a desire to save. John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on down to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was never God's intention to, to judge people, to condemn people. It's God's desire to save people, which leads us to Second Peter 3, verses 8 through 10. Right. It says here, but do not lo overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient mm. towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, now, notice the theme here of what we just did with these passages of Scripture. From Exodus 34, verse 6, you see the loving kindness of God. You, you hear about the love through the other passages in Ephesians and 1 John. We talk about the holiness of God. But understand, here at the end, it's not God's desire for individuals to perish. As, 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 as Curtis read in Ezekiel 8, 18.32, God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, but wants to see people repent and turn to faith. And so here we see the overarching nature of God as it pertains to salvation and his interaction with humanity. Hmm. Yeah. In the, in the last verse of that, Second uh, Peter 3, Verse ten. I'm going to read that real quick, just to kind of give give a, a an oversight here, or a, or an overarching view of this. It says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, <laughs> and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will ex be exposed." Wow. And it can come any moment. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. And and I think that it's I think that it's something that, that we really should focus in on, or maybe not focus, but just always keep and be aware of that the things of this earth are are are, are fleeting, are not of of we should be caring for our things. We should be taking care of our lives, taking care of our, taking care of our families, our things, our, our land, our, you know, vehicles, so on and so forth. Yes. Yes, for sure. Take care of all that and live in, and live to, to, to do things, you know, prospering in, in certain ways and doing things, but always have it, have a recognition that it will all Go away. Yep, absolutely. Use every bit of it 
to do something, do something for God. Yeah, I challenge so, people to look at Second Corinthians five and six. I mean, four and five, uh, four and five. Mm-hmm. That goes right along with what you were saying, Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curious. So, anyway, so let's uh, let let's look at what what the Bible says about human nature and sin. So we're going to camp out here in Genesis chapter one and two, and Curtis, I'll have you, uh, if you if you will, uh, kind of make your way to Genesis chapter one here. Uh, so we see several different things about humanity in the first few chapters of Genesis. First of all, we see that humanity is created in, in what's called imagio Dei, the image of God. It's Latin for image of God. So take a look at uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Yeah, it says, So then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, yeah, we see uh, that humanity is made in God's image is the first thing we see. We also see from that aspect that humanity, in verse 26, is distinct from creation. There's a distinction between human human beings and the animal world. There's a distinction made there. Uh, we also see in verse 27, uh, and we could even include verse 28, uh, that mm-hmm. God created man and woman to be fruitful. And here, I think, is Jesus. Jesus interprets this to say that God instituted marriage. In, in this uh, in this passage of scripture, to go forth and multiply, and re- you know, go forth and multiply, replenish the earth, or uh, you know, uh, to multiply, you know, to fill the earth, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, we see three things in that passage of scripture: created in God's image, humanity is created in God's image. That means every life matters, uh, distinct from creation. It means that we are different from the animal kingdom. Uh, he created man and woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then we also see uh, that he infused humanity with the breath of life. How about take a look at Genesis 2, verse 7 for us? i got to flip over my page. I can't just click with the mouse. <laughs> yeah, I do have the little advantage there with... Uh... <laughs> The app here. But verse uh, or two, verse five. Uh, let's do two, verse seven. Oh, seven. Okay. So it says, "Then the Lord came. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust, uh, of dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Breath. And of the life. man became a living. Yeah, the man became a living creature. And Lord God planted a garden in Eden." in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. So there's that breath that some people would even say that might be the, the, the human soul, the ruach, uh, the human the human soul of, of man, which is the breath of God, the breath of life uh, that's given to us. There, there definitely is a distinction made between humanity and, and the animal kingdom in the biblical worldview. Um, Also, we see in Genesis 2.18 that humanity is capable of having uh, relationships with others in God. Let's take a look at Genesis 2.18. Yeah, it said, 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens brought brought to them brought them to man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was named every living creature so so there again we see that you know humanity has a capability of having relationships with one another uh, we have, see that we have the capability of having a relationship with God. We have uh, the capability of having a relationship with creation and the animals that God had created uh, in humanity, even allowing us to name the animals of, of creation. So we find there there is this relational aspect that human beings are meant to be relational people. And then we also see that we are dependent on God. Now, I'm just going to make reference here to Psalm 104. Uh, we could also reference Psalm 147, 148. Colossians, the Colossians Creed, is another one where we, t- where we see how humanity is absolutely dependent on God. There is a modern movement where people seem to think that that God needs us rather than we need God, and that that is, I just want to correct that thinking to and to, to say, and to show that the Bible teaches that we are absolutely dependent on God. Basil of Caesarea in what the fourth century said that if God took His hand off a of creation, we would cease to exist. If he just simply took his hand off of us and simply take yeah. his hand off of creation, so Psalm one hundred four. Just going to there's a lot of verses to this. I'm just going to make reference to a few. Uh, he says, "My soul bless the Lord, Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor." We see in verse two, he wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy. He talks about making the clouds his chariot, the winds his messenger. He talks about in verse 5, establishing the foundation of the earth, uh, covers it with the deep waters. Um, the waters even stood above the mountain at one point, and at, at his rebuke, the water fled. Uh, he talks about how he developed mountains and sank valleys and established every boundary, caused the springs to gush. They flow between the mountains. You just think about every single thing that happens on this earth is only possible because God created everything that exists. Every beat of our heart, every breath that we take, every moment that we live is a gift of God and comes from His grace. We are absolutely, completely, and totally dependent on God for everything. Yep. Yeah, and I think that when when a person grasps that, and it and it rests rests in their in their heart, in in their mind, and in their heart, when they grasp that, it it turns into just this over just this overwhelming awe absolutely that that you just wind up being grateful and we just we actually had a um uh a we have a pastor that's that's um actually doing a series at our church um that's that's um he's go he's talking about worship and and there's a connection there with worship and reverence and awe and mm. just the gratefulness and thankfulness of of what we what we uh, what we do what we see who we are um in relation with, with him what he's done all of that 
and it just it, it's it's an actual perpetual wheel because once once you start once you start thanking God for the breath that's in you, then all of a sudden you thank Him for the steps you've done. You thank oh, Him yeah. for the people in your life, and you you know it's just this it's this thing that just and by the time you're done, you forget you forget the worries and the and the things that you've dealt with and you have to deal with. You know, absolutely. Two, two things came to mind as you were mentioning that. One is in a passage of scripture in Proverbs. It talks about we may plan our, our we may plan our ways, but God directs our steps, and that's the Chilton mm-hmm. paraphrase. But also in, uh, and again, I've been reading Second Corinthians quite a bit here lately, uh, especially four and five, where he talks about. Um, you know, to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. But he also talks about the the grace of God, the gift of God, and and even the afflictions that we go through are just temporary compared to temporary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. And it's yeah. just amazing to think about that that we're dependent on God here, but we're also dependent on God for that that gift of salvation He's given to us. Uh, it really truly shows. Uh, our, our the necessity of our dependence upon him that that was great stuff Curtis great stuff yeah yeah so then we move into the next into the next level there's sin right yeah absolutely so we're going to look at five different terms for sin and maybe many others we can mention sin is presented as a weight or a burden uh, let's take a look first at Leviticus chapter 10 verse 17 we can also talk a lot about Leviticus 4. But since we're, you know, we only got a short brief period of time, let's let's look at ten seventeen. Okay, so it says here, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? So this seemed it was seen as a pressing weight that they had to uh, to do this for for the people to make atonement for sins uh, to clear to clear the way um, for for their relationship with God. It's also shown as a debt in Leviticus five one says when someone sins in any of these ways, if he has seen, heard, or known about something he has witnessed and did not respond to a public call to testify, he will bear his iniquity. Uh, 24 verse 15 says that uh, it tells the Israelites if anyone curses his God he will bear the consequence of his sin so there's sin brings a debt uh, which must be repaid a, a consequence so to speak uh, which must be repaid uh, it also talks about uncleanness uh, Curtis can you read Psalm 51 verse 7 yeah I have one. <laughs> Ooh, I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong spot on that one, but I got it right here. <laughs> so it says, and this this is heavy stuff when you understand some of this. Oof. Uh, Fifty-one verse seven says, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Yeah, whiter than snow. The purity of a fresh. Coat of snow, which, to be honest with you, I'm done with snow. I want to see some sunshine in springtime. But yeah, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm <laughs> but, over it. But but the snow, the the purity of snow, we we see that that, that sin taints us 
it, uh, mm-hmm. it it makes us dirty. It makes us unclean. Mm. But we need atonement to purify us, to make us clean before God, a holy God. And you know what, you know, Curtis? Honestly, I think in my in my life, if I've sinned, and I've done something I know is wrong. You you have that guilt, but you also feel sometimes you feel a little dirty. Uh, so so that this this image really applies that sin brings dirt and filth, moral filth upon our lives, and so we need that we need cleansing through atonement. Um, and so it's also shown as a sickness. Sin is a sickness in Deuteronomy thirty verse three. Uh, he said he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all peoples where the Lord has scattered you. Uh, so there's this aspect of scattering, but it's almost as if that this sin has brought a sickness which has, almost like the leper, thrown them out of the camp of God, thrown them out of the camp of the city. So like lepers, they're outside of of, of the, um, the presence of God, outside of uh, that relationship they need to have with the Lord. And then finally... Uh, we see, we don't have a specific text for this, but in the New Testament, Curtis, you made mention of this last week, the word hamartia, uh, or excuse me, hamartia in Greek uh, means to miss the mark. It's like an archer who rears back trying to shoot for the bullseye, and he completely misses the target altogether, or like a... Uh, to use a modern application, like a field goal kicker. He's he's reared up to kick the winning field goal, and he kicks it, and it goes just left or just right of the goal post, missing the field goal and losing the game. That's the image yeah. of sin in, in the New Testament as well. Right, right. And two things. One, if you miss the goal post by even a fraction, a millimeter, you still miss the goalpost. Absolutely. Uh, James, was it James who said if you if you yep. are guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all? It's, of know. it all. Yep. Yep. And then the other thing I want to say is the culture, the world today, the, 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 the people around us, you know, the culture that are that are trying to, the movers and the shakers, trying to make this, change this, uh, change our thinking on this, they're having us actually Take that goalpost, or take the you know yeah. um, the the arrow, shoot it at the wall, then draw our bullseye, or kick the ball and then move the move the goalpost over so it does. See, it, we have a standard, and that's called truth, Amen. and that's what we read. That's what we that's what we involve ourselves in. We don't have this relative truth that is relativistic to our world or what we're doing there's an actual factual real baseline of truth that then we all live out of but if we move the goalpost to my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth then when somebody does something against you does something wrong or quote-unquote sins against you what's the opposite then what, what can we sin against them because they did to us well, because relatively it works for them. Well, it's going to work for me because that's what I want to do. It, and so it then gives nobody in the world any confidence of what is actually there. The truth becomes just this fleeting thing. If you, if you want to test that theory out, 
go up to someone and steal their wallet, and they say, and if they ask, why did you do that? And you say, well, it may not be good for you, but it was good for me. But don't be surprised yeah. if it don't punch you in the nose. <laughs> for yeah. yeah, I was explaining this to a, to a, a friend of mine. Um, I said, you know, I said the thing about that, the, the relativism, the relativistic mindset is what's good for me is good for me and it's good for you. Well, whatever, you know. And I said, think about that. I said, then a person can come into a house, steal somebody's goods out of that house, right? Mm-hmm. And that person can say, well, to me, it's okay. I can do this. Well, wait a minute. You're doing it against me. Yeah. So then you go against them. You go to the to their house and take their items out, right? They, You say, well, it's good for me, but they get mad at you nowadays you know so so it's so there's this there's this there's a when you start really pressing the issue when you really start pressing the theory like you just said you're going to have something that's that's actually going to basically yo-yo itself or or rubber band itself right back to factual truth amen that's right and and one more thing before we move on uh let me just say that when we're talking about this mark, we've got to ask whose mark are we trying to hit, mm. and that right. mark is God's. And so, when mm-hmm. we, we have to ask who is able to forgive sin, and it has to be God because God is the one who is offended by sin. So mm-hmm. I can't forgive you for something you did against God because I'm not God. Just like you can't forgive me for something I did against God mm-hmm. because you're not God. Uh, The only one who can forgive sins, now think about this when you're reading the New Testament, the only one who can forgive sins is the one who was offended by sin, and that's God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I was just going to say, is and who did the Pharisees and the, uh, more of the Sadducees, correct? More of the Sadducees and the uh, the the high court came against Jesus when he said, you know, your sins are forgiven, and they said, who can forgive sins but God? Yeah. Even they knew. They understood, and they came against Jesus with that. This is this is good stuff, but I, I, I we're gonna probably have to go to head on to the next one because <laughs> time is eluding mm-hmm. us. <laughs> so, so good this, stuff. I so wish the, we could camp are, out there a little bit more because that's some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does the Bible say about sacrifice and propitiation? That say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sacrifice here is talking about uh, the the act of atoning. Propitiation is a fancy a million dollar word meaning atonement. It means to um, essentially. Um, let me see what the definition I had pulled up here. Uh, the action of appeasing God. Uh, atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is it's the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill or so, of someone or something, so it's regaining the favor of God, and so that's what we're talking about when we talk about atonement. So if we look at the Old Testament, the word the Hebrew word kafar means to cover, to cover one's sins. So let's take a look at Leviticus uh, 1. Notice how much we're in Leviticus here. Leviticus 1. It three, always goes back to Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus 1, 3 through 4. If his offering is, is a burnt offering from the herd, 
he shall offer a male without blemish. Pay attention. Yep. A male without blemish. He shall bring it to the to the entrance of the tent of meetings, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Verse 4. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for, for him to make atonement for him. Well, there's a lot of typologies there. You can, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you you can look at looking back, you know, over to uh, looking to Jesus, but but we see the sac- act, Old Testament act of sacrifice taking place there. Now we take a look at the substitutionary work of Christ. We see in Isaiah 53 verse six. Uh, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our way, and the Lord has mm-hmm. punished him who the servant of Yahweh. Who's the servant of Yahweh? This is the Messiah for the iniquity of us all. I tell you what, for time's sake, let's look at um, one more John one twenty nine. Okay, so John one twenty nine. Uh, it says. And this this is good because this is this is when Jesus was actually in in inter uh, intermingling and and walking with and and there was some activity going on. So this is kind of what what I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave it shadowed like that. There was some activity going on and a specific person who was called to be his. Um, one crying out in the wilderness, one saying things. So here's here's the statement. Um, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm. And on that note, as we look at propitiation, we see in 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 and 2. John writes, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, Mm -hmm. we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for only our sins, but also those of the entire world. That atoning sacrifice there is the word propitiation, often used in many translations, that toning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. So this kind of gives us a, a kind of a backdrop of, of uh, the biblical view of uh, the sacrifice and propitiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, powerful stuff. So I guess what is, what is the, what is God, what does the Bible say about the reconciliation with God? All right, Curtis, I tell you what, we're going to kind of fly through this because this is a lot more a lot more self-explanatory than some of the other passages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I'll look at the first one. He first of all serves as a ransom for many. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man... He goes on to say, whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant, just as the Son mm-hmm. of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom uh, or or uh, uh, lutron, I think is the way you, is the word there, lutron, a ransom for many. And so we not only see that, but we also see that there's a political and spiritual redemption in Luke chapter 1, 
verses 71 through 74, and actually even more throughout that chapter. But let's just take a look at verses 71 and 74 of Luke chapter 1. And encourage yeah, you to that. and so that, here it is right here. It says, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. So he he sees he see he shows there the, uh, re, the 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 spiritual redemption, but also redemption from the enemies, and ultimately we know that Christ is going to redeem the church, going to redeem mm-hmm. the people of God uh, from the enemies that plague them, both spiritual and and physical. We also see that uh, that this propitiation, this reconciliation, is gained through the blood of Christ. And then we look to Romans chapter three, verses uh, twenty. We'll go ahead back to back up to verse twenty three through twenty five. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His restraint. God passed over the sins previously committed. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 26. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. And how about Ephesians 1 7? Do you have that for us, Curtis? No. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just I thinking you, I'll get there. <laughs> I tell you what, if you want to look up another one, if you want to look up the next one, I'll go ahead and get this one. Uh, Ephesians 1 7. If you want to look up uh, Galatians 4 there for us. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 1 7. Here says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he may richly pour out on us with our wisdom and understanding. And then we also see that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. And here we find in Galatians 4, verse 5. Yeah, so in 5 it says, To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's a link back there to the Lord's Prayer that he uttered, because he talked. He told us we can pray, Abba, Father. Uh, mm. Oh man, there's just so much we can talk about there. <laughs> we, we've also been rescued from judgment. First Corinthians one verse thirty, uh, verse thirty says, "It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption." In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in mm. the Lord. And then we also finally see in Titus 2.14 that he saves us uh, to develop people who were zealous to do good works. And that's Titus 2.14. Do you have that for us, Curtis? Mm-hmm. I do. Let me back up to 13 here. It says, waiting for our blessed hope. This is This is cool. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. So we've seen all of these different these different aspects of how the Bible 
speaks of these different areas. Now, here is time to put this to the test. So, uh, I've got my handy-dandy pencil here. And so, um, looking at the Socinian theory first. And folks, let me just say here for a moment. Our podcast is probably going to run longer than normal. But let me just say this. This is a podcast that deserves to go longer than normal because there's a lot of stuff we're looking at here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could even go triple length than this one if yeah to. <laughs> absolutely so so bear with really? us if if you got to go take a potty break get pause come back you know uh, you know but but this this is this is very important and we'll get this right so we're gonna for the rest of the podcast look at the different theories and go through and give our assessment of how each theory does so looking at the socinian theory remember this was the theory that said that uh, the cross showed god's loving example uh, showing us for his loving example showing us how he loves us and how we can live in and through ourselves to uh, live for christ so looking at the nature of god curtis let me get your assessment first how, do you think that the socinian theory fares well on, on the loving nature of God? If so, why or why not? I'm seeing a thumbs down. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, this is uh, self-exalting. I'll just, uh, I'll just move on from there. And so Curtis gives this an X. I'm just going to do X and, and check marks here. Curtis gives this an X, so he says it fails. And I would have to say... I agree with you, Curtis. I think it fails. I'm going to give this an X here as well because I think when we talk about the nature of God, yes, God is loving, but part of His loving nature is His holiness. It's not right. separated. Holiness right. and justice are not separated from His love. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say just, holy and just, and, and loving, all of those are all together. And, and to try to separate those, you then... Um, you start taking away the, the who God is. Absolutely. So we agree that uh, the Socinian view fails the uh, first test. What about the second test? Uh, when we talk about human nature and sin, uh, does this viewpoint pass in your assessment? What's that, the moral influence? Uh, th- this is the uh, Socinian view. Oh, No. <laughs> And I'd have to agree. I'd have to say no. Uh, I th- I think that when you hold the idea that people are can be good enough to save themselves, uh, th- that just doesn't cohere with what we find in the Bible, right. and it doesn't cohere with common sense, with with right. uh, with the way human nature is. Right. So we would agree yeah. that it fails the second one. What about the I third? Mean, you can tell. You can tell that. You can tell that within the first three days that a child is born. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So what about the third aspect, uh, sacrifice and propitiation? Does this theory match what we find in the Scripture? No. And I would also have to say no as well. I would agree with you. I think it fails here um, primarily because uh, th- there is no sacrificial atonement in this viewpoint, from my understanding of it. I think it's just simply right. setting an example. So we agree. Yes. Yeah, it, it falls into 
there's just i mean it it falls into you know um some new age and some some uh even even some buddhism type mindset or ideas that it, that you just got to be good you know mm-hmm. And so the last one, when we talk about reconciliation with God, do you, do you think this theory passes this test? No. And I would also have to agree uh, here as well. I, I I don't see how there's reconciliation with God on this view because it's all about what people can do. And mm. reality, mm-hmm. we can't be good enough to reach God's standards. So I think it's setting itself up to fail. So we all we both agree in a hundred percent agreement that uh, the Socinian view fails all four viewpoints, so we give this a big old, eh, you know, as far as uh, how the how the theory fares with the biblical text. So let's look to the second one, the moral influence theory. This is a lot has a lot similar in common with the Socinian view. This is that Christ served as a perfect example, showing how we can live a similar example. Uh, what about the nature of God here, Curtis? What do you say? Uh, I would say, <laughs> um, I'd have to say no. You know, in in here, I don't know that I know enough about it to give it a strong no. This theory, um, but but I I would still have to give it a no in the end. And so I would have to agree with you here that it fails. Uh, at least from what I've gathered about this theory, I don't think it really meshes with what we find of God's nature. Um, Maybe wrong on this. I'm going to be the first to admit that I, you know, I, I can't, could be wrong because I'm not 100% sure you know, from the material I was reading how much they developed the nature of God in and of itself. I think but this Antosinian viewpoint emphasizes the love of God, but again... You know, I think the similar problems we find with the Socinian view, we also find with the moral influence. Mm. So what about the second thing? Uh, when we talk about uh, human nature and sin, how does it fare? Um, I, you know, I would have to say no on this. Just, I mean, it's basically saying that um, that we can we can correct our own sinfulness and I'm, that's yeah. not true and I agree 100% I, I really have nothing more to add to that I, I, I agree 100% with what you said so we, we're both in agreement that it fails here as well what about sacrifice and propitiation there's nothing there and I would agree so already three X's and what about the last one reconciliation with God yeah same thing <laughs> and and I would agree. So already um, we have two theories that have not fared well. Uh, so Sinian view, we both agree this is zero for four. Uh, we also agree that uh, the moral influence theory is zero for four. Doesn't really mesh with anything. So uh, what about government theory? What, what about the loving relate the nature of God in government theory? What do you what do you see here? I don't see there being much uh, lovingness in God. Um, yeah, so no. So you'd give it a no there. I'm actually going to have to give it a mild check mark here because I, I, when looking at the nature of God, I can see where maybe they have a 
justice aspect to, to the theory, and then they also have the loving aspect of God. So I would probably go ahead and give it a, a check mark there. So that marks our first uncertain uh, aspect that we'll have uh, concerning a theory. Let's take a look at the second one. Uh, this is human nature and sin. What, what do you say here? I'd say it, it definitely defines that and does and does uh, um, point out that we that we do need the justification of God. So you'd give it a check mark. Yeah. Okay. I would probably have to agree with you there. I think that it it um, it it speaks to the problem. It speaks to the yeah. problem. To, to a degree. I don't think it necessarily does the best job, but right. so we're going to agree that this actually passes the second uh, aspect of the theory. So now what about yeah. uh, sacrifice and propitiation? What, what do you think here? Um, if, if I said, if I said a mild check mark, I'd be like, I'd be being pretty truthful because I have on my notes here, I have, I have circled with stars around it, parts of it. <laughs> well, I, I I would have to probably give it a mild X uh, because uh, yeah, I don't know that it really necessarily. Um, I I think it has something there to it, but I don't think it really necessarily gives the the fullness uh, that that's needed there to really pass through yeah. all, all that we see. So we'll, we'll mark an uncertain there as well. And uh, what about the aspect of reconciliation, redemption from the uh, redemption with God? Uh, what, what do you see there for the government theory? Well, they do have the cross in there as the marker or the defining factor of what um, what our sin does to us. But in the theory, it's. It's more of we are on that cross. Yeah. So I'm not really sure if I could give it anything but a no on that. And, and I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I don't know that it really... There again, I think there's something there to be said. I think there's there's something there's an element there to it, but I don't think it really fully fleshes out the reconciliation that's necessary with God, especially as we look at this as being just a sign of God's judgment. Yeah, uh, but is there reconciliation really brought through what's being done there on the cross? And so, so th this one is fascinating. So we're going to give this a one. Uh, one and two. It's tied on two. Uh, one, one pass, one fail. So not faring the best in the world. Um, so one, one and two is what we'll call this. One pass, one fail, and uh, two uncertain. So let's take a look at the ransom theory, also known as uh, Christus Victor. Uh, this, this is the theory that says that uh, Christ redeemed humanity on the cross. From the clutches of Satan's power, that um, that um, 
he may kind of struck up a bargain with Satan so that he would go to the cross. Satan agreed to it, but Satan didn't realize the totality that was involved. And the Christus Victor would basically just essentially say that Christ just defeated the powers of death without really any necessarily any negotiation done, uh, that he just uh, defeated the power and clutches of death uh, and the power and clutches of Satan on the cross and through the resurrection. So, But we'll just take this together as two theories in one. So, with that being said, what do you think about this theory as it pertains to the uh, nature of God? Uh, I think I think it reveals God's concern that we are lost. So I would have to say, yeah, that's I'd give it a check mark. Yeah, I would too, because I think you see the loving nature of God. You see also the holy nature of God uh, as yep. He's working against Satan and the powers of evil. Um, he basically defeats the devil on his own turf. Uh, yeah, and and that's that's pretty cool. That's a cool aspect of this theory. So uh, we're both in agreement that this actually passes. Uh, the, the test of the nature of God. Now, what about the aspect of human nature and sin? Oh, by far. Yeah, I'd give it a check mark. I would probably give this a check mark, too. I don't know that it necessarily deals with... Well, I take that back. It does kind of deal with the, the sin problem because it recognizes the fact that... Uh, um, that sin entered through Adam and Eve, but that essentially came by the influence of Satan. So uh, I would also give this a check mark for number two. So we're both, this is faring better than anything yet. Uh, pass on uh, two, it's, one, it's two and two for now, uh, with the ransom theory is. So what about the third aspect, sacrifice and propitiation? This one's this one I would say is a little shaky. Um, I would say yet yeah, satisfaction, yes, but as far as <laughs> yeah, I just have to say a mild check mark on that one. I really would. This, this is one I would probably have to give a mild X. Um, mm -hmm. I I think that it's true. And what it says that 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 God defeated the power of Satan on the cross and through the resurrection, but I don't know. I, I think Anselm brings up a good point about this theory about why would God have to pay Satan uh, something when he's offended? I think there's. That that's something in my mind that hasn't been completely resolved, and I think this is something that for me I'll, I'll need to investigate a little bit more. I think it is compelling uh, that this was the predominant view up until the time of of Anselm. So I think there's mm -hmm. probably more there than what I'm seeing, uh, but I think I'd have to have more a little more research to be able to give it a check. But uh, so we'll, we'll call this uncertain on the third one. What about reconciliation? To God, what what would you give this uh, this theory? Well, he's victorious, so we're reconciled. Victorious so check mark. And I would probably have to agree. I don't. The only I'd have to give it a mild check mark though, because I do wonder whether or not that sin aspect has been handled 
in this view with God. Uh, that's that would be the only drawback. Yep. But yeah. But as it stands here, we have wow. This has done better than any view thus far. We are we're going to call this three O and one three passes. Uh, no no failures and one uncertain and that uncertainty was coming in the third view of, of uh, sin a sacrifice and propitiation now we go to Anselm's view the satisfaction viewpoint uh, here again this is the view that um, Christ satisfied the honor of God that was violated so here it's God's honor that was violated Christ resolved that for those who believe in him on the cross so, with that in mind, uh, what do you see here, Curtis, about the nature of God with this view? I understand the honor part, but where's the loving and where's the desire to save? So I'd have to give it a I'd have to give it an X. I mean, I'd maybe go mild X, but I'd probably just go an X just just to simplify it. Yeah, that makes sense. I would probably have to give it a very mild check because I, I I do think he's he's seeing something about the the holiness of God being offended. But I do think you bring up a good point about the loving nature of God, and I really think, although I don't think that this is a primary aspect of the viewpoint. If if you if our listeners go back and listen to last week's view, Anselm had this real quirky viewpoint that. Only the number of people to make up for the n- number of angels lost at the fall would be saved. Now, that, I think, is not verified by any scripture whatsoever. But I, I do think that there is that aspect of holiness that he captures. But now that I think about it, I think you're right. I don't think that he, he really talks about the love as much as he should of God. But uh, we'll just list this as uncertain right here. Um uh, because in my mind, I'll be honest, I'm uncertain where I stand on that. <laughs> where I stand on that. But let's take a look at the second thing. Uh, that is the uh, human nature and sin. Does this does this capture uh, hum- the biblical viewpoint of human nature and sin? I would have to say a mild check mark, kinda. Um, I think there's some. I think there's some things that um, it, it doesn't. It's not really clear on, and um, yeah, it, it, I just have to leave it there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the violated honor part is uh, very important. Um, do I think it may necessarily be the best answer? No, maybe not. But uh, I, I think there's something there to give it a very mild check mark. So we'll agree that it passes. Mm-hmm. The uh, the second aspect, the third is sacrifice and propitiation. Uh, what do you think about the satisfaction theory? Does it match what we what we read about satisfaction and propitiation? Uh, I think it. I think it. Um, I guess you could say God, He would be satisfied. Um, but what's you know what's He propitiation for? <laughs> if you try to make that into a word, um, because he, you know, um, I guess in my, in, in what I understand it to be is if all he's looking for is to just be satisfied, then what, what really needs to be, um, dealt with on our end, 
you know. Yeah. So, so would you? So get... I'm not sure. I would probably say an X. And and I would have to agree with you uh, on that. I, I think that um, there's something there, but it just really doesn't capture the it's not total. Clear. Yeah, it's yeah. not clear. You're you're right. It's not very clear, not very concise, and it doesn't really. What about God's nature was was violated? Uh, what mm-hmm. was violated? He doesn't yeah. really seem, at least from the details we've we've read and studied, it doesn't really seem that they've really fleshed that out. Uh, now, if, right. if you're listening to the podcast and you have resources that help us better understand this, by all means, leave a comment uh, at, at bellatorchristie.com and let us know, and we'll look into it. But I'd yeah. agree with you. So we agree here that it fails the... Um, well. Mildly I mean, you think fails. about that. Yeah, you think about that, Brian. That this this view, and I don't want to get off track, but this view could actually be grounds for atheists to say, "Yeah, this is the God I I don't want to follow," because he's just a guy sitting on his chair, and his pride is hurt, and now he's mad. That's a good point. Uh, that's a very yeah. good point. So what about the fourth view about reconciliation and redemption with God? What what do you see how do you see this viewpoint? I guess there is there is there. I mean, you know, this is his his uh uh honor is satisfied. Um So I guess there would be um a reconciliation with with mankind, but I would I would have to say a check mark Maybe a mild check mark. Yeah, I'm right there with you too. I, I think there is um, some aspect of redemption there, but yeah, I, I would. That's about as far as I would want to go with it. Uh, a mild check mark. So then we come to the penal substitution. Let me let me just go back and and we'll recap where we've been so far before we go to the last one. Uh, the first two were O for four. This is uh, Socinian theory and moral influence theory. Government theory was one one and two one pass one fail two uncertain. Ransom theory three passes no fails one uncertain and then satisfaction is two one and one two passes one fail and uh, one uncertain. So we come to the penal substitution theory. Does this theory match what we find with uh, the biblical teachings of the nature of God? I would have to say yeah. Yeah, without reservation, I'd have to agree with you. I I don't see Mm -hmm. anything there that doesn't really cohere. Uh, I don't think you have to, even though this came from Calvin, I don't think you have to go so far with it to, to uh, because really there's non, a lot of non-Calvinists who hold the penal substitutionary theory, so there's no problem mm-hmm. there. So yeah, I would agree with you. What about the second one? Uh, the aspect of human nature and sin. Yeah, I would I would certainly say that it, it gives an accurate picture of, of uh, who we are. And I would I would give a, a check mark there as well. Uh, what about the sacrificial atonement uh, and propitiation? What about that? Yeah, check mark on that. I'd have to say yes. And I would definitely say that as well. This is this strongly. I think of all of the theories we've seen, really meshes more 
with what we find in the scripture pertaining to sacrifice and propitiation than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, lastly, we see the aspect of reconciliation and redemption. What would you say here? I would say that as the gavel falls, I would say yes, check mark. So we have a winner. I would also agree with that and say that, that that passes as well. So we have a winner. So as a recap, final recap, the one we agree to that had the most uh, is is uh, four passes, zero law- failures, and zero uncertainties. This is the penal substitution. Coming in second place, uh, we have the ransom theory with three passes, zero uncertain, uh, zero failures, and one uncertainty. Third place, we would have the satisfaction theory, two passes, one failure, and one uncertainty. Government theory would come in fourth place, uh, one pass, one fail, two uncertainties, and then take your pick with Socinian and moral influence. They are both zero for four, uh, O and four, and O. Uh, no, uh, no passes, no uncertainties. We both agree that they really kind of fail. <laughs> They missed the mark uh, for the atonement. So, Curtis, I'd be curious to find what are your final thoughts concerning these theories and the results we've we've come to in this series. It's 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 funny because um, just last week my pastor and I were talking and and uh, we kind of were we're talking back and forth and i said you know i said if i had to if i had to be pressed theologically i would have to go with penal substitutionary atonement but i said there's aspects of the of the christus victor that just speaks to your heart and speaks to the things that god has done i mean he's victorious over over the binding of of death and sin and death and uh, those things that are that are over the top of that. He's victorious. He's won that. And so there's there's aspects of that 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 really um, speak to um, Christian Christianity and speak to um, who we are as humans and what God has done for us. Um, I just I I wish we could blend the two together. And so. Um, you know, like like uh, Pastor Eric said last weekend, it was funny because we were talking about it, and he says uh, maybe it's maybe we should just call it a, a blend and make it a victorious penal substitutionary atonement. <laughs> I love it. So, I love it. <laughs> I don't know why we have to have one or the other. Can't we just blend it? And I, and I agree with him a hundred percent. Well, and I would agree with them too. I, I think there is something there with Christus Victor. There's a reason why it was it, it predominated the uh, the viewpoint of the church, or was the predominant view of the church up until the time of Anselm. Uh, I think there's something there to it. And uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I like that uh, Christus Victor penal yeah. substitution or the the Victor yeah. penal substitution theory. Uh, I think that's spot on. Yeah, and, and and I think there are not trying to interrupt you, but I think there are essences from all of the theories that we can get at least something. I mean, even the Socinian view and um, the uh, moral influence view. While we agree that they fail miserably to account for the biblical details, there are aspects of it though that we find that we could blend into our theological or our Christology. And that is the aspect that God does love us, that He did, that Christ did serve as the perfect example. And while we can't be the perfect example in and of ourselves, as they would say, we can 
use his life as an example, try to follow after his ways, do things the Jesus way, as we're filled with the Spirit of God to produce the fruit that he uh, that he has for us to produce. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think there are elements in all of the theories that we could we could uh, appreciate, even though they don't necessarily. Some of them don't necessarily uh, really match the total message of Scripture. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That was a long one. There's our victorious substitution theory. <laughs> well, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, So drum, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? 
Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.